Morning, everyone. Uh, you know, where's Michaela? Um, that, th thank you for sharing that, Michaela. Um, just in so many ways, like that, that's encouraging for us as a body, as Larry said, when, when we're operating like that. But, um, you know, it's also personally just super encouraging to me when you're, when you're sharing a scripture like that and you, and you feel the, you know, in the moment I felt the Holy Spirit impress that upon me. But to, to know how he's working like that. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, we, we really believe that. And this is where it relates to the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit desires to operate in that way in our midst. Uh, increasingly, that he's speaking to us, that we're listening, that he's putting pictures on uh, in our minds, that he's, he's giving us scriptures, and, and that he's, he's doing all this stuff, interweave stuff to speak to us um, and, and to confirm what he's doing. So, uh, so this week, uh, I think it was, was it, I don't think it was Tuesday, but I was, uh, I was lifting some weights in the morning, and all of a sudden I felt something in my back go out and and it's like it was nothing major but it was just like the little like a little tweak I felt as I was as I was lifting the weight and I was like uh-oh and and so uh you might notice because Jess says that I when I'm in pain <laughs> I tend to she says you actually show your pain and and so I I'm I'm very very stiff this morning I've been icing the entire week and it's not doing much and I realized that I've I've I know enough about some of the history of my neck and back to know what I've done, and, and it's not getting better. And so I've got this presence of pain now in my upper neck and back. Uh, Advil's cutting a little bit of it right now, which is, I'm thankful for that. Um, but, but it's constant. I've, I've, I've been in this constant pain all week. Um, and, and I know when the pain increases, I know when it decreases. Like, I know every little bit of it I feel right now in my body. And as I was dealing with that this week, I had this thought. The Holy Spirit said, what if you were that sensitive all the time to my presence? That you were that aware of, of my presence inside of you. And I found myself going, okay, Lord, I really hope that you didn't allow this to happen to me so that I could learn this in a very... Uh, painful way but it was it was something that really I felt like he impressed upon me so as Larry said this is the the last week of our this message series that we've been in on the Holy Spirit last week we we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and that we were looking at this idea of, of whatever we have thought scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit being inside of us. And that's where, that, that word was so helpful, Michaela, for this, just to, to kind of reaffirm that, that this idea, like, I don't know, whatever we think of the Holy Spirit, that he's actually inside of us, dwelling with us. And, and you know, and then maybe the question comes up, well, is, it, can that, is that presence of the Holy Spirit, is it felt or not? Um, you know, could it be that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and we have no awareness of it? And I would say, well... No, because the Holy Spirit, clearly Scripture reveals that the Holy Spirit is experiential in, in many, many ways. Uh, the Holy Spirit moves in, he moves upon, and he moves through people. 
And, and so I want to go further into that this morning, if you will. And I want to I talk about this, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and what, what is that? What does that look like? Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is given to be with us, to help and direct us as Jesus' presence, the very presence of Jesus in us. Galatians 5 speaks of being led by the Spirit. We are to walk by the Spirit. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. So there's a thing of, of that we're, we're living in alignment with the Holy Spirit. This is this, and there's this thing in there of, of relationship and his presence in our lives. John Eldridge, he speaks of our hearts. I think I maybe mentioned this last week. Um, but, but he mentions that our, our hearts are meant to be outposts of Eden in the world. And that, that thought has really struck me in the last while and stayed with me. This, this idea that as God's presence resided in Eden, the Garden of Eden before the fall, and then in the tabernacle and in the temple, and then after the resurrection of Jesus, our hearts now are the temple of God. That we are temples of the Holy Spirit, as it says in the New Testament, that God now dwells inside of us. And it, it is, that, that, that whole thought is pretty mind-blowing. When, when, you, when you go through scripture and you think about God's presence being in Eden and then, and then his presence being in the temple and in the, t- in the tabernacle and then the temple and now in us. And, and Eldridge, he makes the point that both the tabernacle and the temple were designed with all sorts of imagery. And if you read through the Old Testament, there's all sorts of imagery, specific imagery that was in the tabernacle and in the temple that was meant to remind the people of Eden and God's desire to dwell with his people. And this thing of he started in the garden and we're going back to that. We're going to dwell with God. He wants to dwell with us as his people. And, and, and then on, uh, on top of that, Jesus, he speaks of living water flowing through us. This, this rich imagery connected to uh, visions in Ezekiel of water just flowing from the temple, this living water that flows out from the temple of God, and this river of life that we see at the end of Revelation in the new heavens and the new earth, that there's this river of life that flows. And, and we're meant to experience a foretaste of this now. It's what Jesus speaks about, with that living waters would be inside of us, and that's the Holy Spirit in us. And so this morning, I want to I look at three questions in connection with the presence of the Holy Spirit. First, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to experience the Holy Spirit? And can we limit the Holy Spirit in our lives? So first, I want to talk about what, is it, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So there's this view uh, that's very... Um, you know, is, is the common view of Pentecostals and Charismatics of the second baptism in the Spirit that is, uh, they would say, is subsequent to conversion, subsequent to coming to faith in Christ. And, and there is, you know, depending how you view that theologically and how you work that out, there is some support for that in the book of Acts. There's, there's definitely some solid theological grounds for that. The disciples 
they themselves re received the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension. So, you know, it brings up the question, like, well, were they not saved before? Well, Jesus certainly, uh, what he says is that they were saved. He talks about them being clean by him. Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. That's the end of Luke. And so, you know, it brings up questions like, well, is this baptism of the Spirit, is it, is it uniform for everyone? I'm not, I'm not sure we can make that claim from Scripture. But, but whatever, wherever we kind of, and I'm not, I know I'm not, I'm not delving into this deeply theologically, but wherever we land on that, certainly being filled with the Spirit is the norm in Scripture. Whether you hold to a baptism of the Holy Spirit separate from conversion or not, if it's, and, and if it's true, so looking at it from the other side, if, it, if it's true that there's only one baptism in the Spirit, that, that you receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ, and that's true, you do, and, and, that, and if, if, you know, if that's it, let's just say that that position, that's, that's it, there's nothing beyond that, then, then the Western church has a, a serious question that we need to answer. Why aren't we experiencing more of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? So there, there was some view of, of some of the Christians, uh, there, there is some view amongst Christians, I should say, that the time of Acts and what we read of in Acts and in the early church is somehow different than where we are now. That, that the Holy Spirit was given back then in a unique way to spread the gospel and to give proof to the gospel and, and, then, and, and now it's changed. We don't need that anymore. And so the Holy Spirit has changed. And that's, that's really, theologically, there's, there's problems with that. You, you, scripture doesn't support any notion of that, that the Holy Spirit is somehow different now and he's changed. There's, there's no biblical support for that. So Ephesians 3, 16 to 17. This is Paul. He's praying for believers. And uh, it'll be on the slide uh, behind me. And he says there in Ephesians 3, praying, he says that he prays that they would be filled, and, or sorry, strengthened with power. That, that the Greek word there for power is the word dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite from. It's, and so Paul's praying that we would be strengthened like with the power of dynamite through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. It's, it, it is powerful power, if you will. Daryl Johnson, he's a, he's a teacher and pastor, he comments, he says this, this term, this inner being, this, this person spoken of in Ephesians 3, refers to the deepest recesses of our being, to the very center of oneself, to the place within us that even we ourselves have yet to explore and understand. Down there, way in there, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. And here he breathes his supernatural power. This, this is really where we need the power of the Holy Spirit, at the core of our being. Ephesians 3 goes on there where it says, and he, Paul's praying, he says, he says that you would be strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, that word for dwell there 
It speaks of, of settling down somewhere, of taking up permanent residence. It's not, it's not temporal in any sense. In, in the context of the flow of the verse, it's speaking of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling at the core of your being, at the core of your personality. And, and what's the end goal of all this? What is the end goal of what Paul's praying there for in Ephesians 3? He ends it praying that we would be filled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That we would be filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Later in Ephesians 5, he speaks of our, it speaks of our need to be filled with the Spirit. And it's not uh, right away obvious or apparent in our English translation, translations, but the Greek tense there is ongoing. It's speaking of go on being filled with the Spirit. It's this continual filling that we're meant to understand. And it, it points to our need to keep on being filled. This is that's probably one reason why I, I have apprehension uh, when it comes to the idea that there's this definitive time in our lives that we are filled with the Spirit, that there's a baptism of the Spirit. Not because I don't believe that happened. I do believe that happens. I absolutely believe that there are specific incidents, specific times, that there's that time, that date, whatever you want to call it, where you can look back and you go, I was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit then, different than I ever was before. But the point is, it doesn't end there. It's not meant to go, that was then, I was baptized and filled, and that's it. It's an ongoing filling. It's this thing of, I'm not, I'm not baptized with the Spirit once, and then woohoo, it's like, I need more and more and more and more. And there's always more available. It's the initial experience that is meant to only be the beginning of many more fillings. It's again, it's this idea where Jesus speaks of rivers of living water flowing, flowing through you. Does it stop? No, that water is never stopping. That, that river doesn't stop flowing. Rivers of living water is a continual thing that keeps going. And that's the picture in scripture. It's just flowing out from the temple of God. It's flowing through us. It's going to be there at the end of time where we're going to be in a new earth and there's going to be this river of life. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be incredible. Maybe another image to help us understand Ephesians 5 and I've, I've probably said this before, but it's, I, I just, it's constantly helpful for me to remember this. We are vessels that leak. You, you have holes in you that leak. And so I, I constantly need filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm constantly needing the Holy Spirit to be topping up my reserves, if you will, because I'm constantly leaking. And I need more and more. Now, does this get mixed up when you talk about baptism of the Spirit and moving in the Spirit and all that? Does that get mixed up with our flesh and with our personalities and desire for God? Yeah. Can it get weird and can it get questionable at times? Yeah, it can. George Whitfield, he, he led massive revivals in the UK. Thousands and thousands of people. Incredible, incredible moves of the Holy Spirit that he witnessed. And he was, he was asked 
at one point about the various manifestations that were strange, that were happening. And his response was something to the effect of, why should we be surprised when the Holy Spirit is moving that we also encounter manifestations of the flesh and of the demonic? He says, we're touching the spiritual realm. And so today, it doesn't, you don't have to go far. We, we see this plastered all over social media. You know, accusations against this movement, accusations against that movement, against this church or that church or this leader or that leader. And, and like, you can, you can get just bogged down in the slog of this, this you know, we're this thing over here and this thing over here and we're making this accusation against this person. And, and it's funny, right, because we've assessed everything through our, par- our theological paradigm. That funny thing, our theological paradigm is always 100% correct. And everyone else is always wrong. Point is, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He's been given to you to interact with you. It's meant to be relational. It's meant to be living and to speak. He's meant to to be here to speak and to lead and to guide and to fill us with his presence. Okay, next question. What what does it mean to experience the Holy Spirit? You know, and, and here's where we could talk about all the manners of gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit. And, and, and we have. I've, I've, we've taught on that before. We could talk about the gift of tongues. We could talk about prophecy. And, and it is. It's, it's important to have theology that's in, rooted in Scripture and all of that, that we understand what Scripture teaches about that, that we're handling that appropriately, and that we're not responding out of various traditions and positions, but rather that we are led and, get, and, got, and that we are guided by what the Word says about that. But, putting all that aside, the New Testament is much richer and deeper than just the aspect of the Holy Spirit when it comes to his presence and how we experience it. You know, it's not like you, the Holy Spirit is just treated in the New Testament like it, the manifestations of the Spirit and that's it. It's, it's far more than that. And so it's not so much about, you know, pulling out this verse or that verse it's, it's the reading of the entire New Testament and really the, entire of script, the entirety of Scripture and being immersed in it to the extent that we see what it means to experience the Holy Spirit. And, and I, would, I would venture to say that as we read and study the New Testament more and more and more, that what we gain is a rich understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he desires to move and how we experience him. So I want to just consider Philippians 3 here for a moment. And, and that Philippians 3 is not your expected passage when speaking of experience and the Holy Spirit. But I want, I want us to consider what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. And it'll be on the screen behind me as well. So in verses 7 to 12, he's, he's, he's talking about what he's come out of his, and his experience for, and, and what he's desiring for the Lord to do in him. And in comparison to knowing Christ, he says everything else is lost. He speaks of Jesus, my Lord. He makes it intensely personal. And, and the experience that Paul is speaking of, and, and, and you can sense 
His, his passion there in Philippians 3, he's trying to articulate for us the, the desire that he has for more of Jesus. And, and, and as you read it, you can clearly see this isn't intellectual. He's not writing this so that we could have knowledge. It's clearly experiential. It's intensely personal for him. So you read this and you go, how does this happen? Is, is what, what Paul is speaking of here, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Like when he talks about, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And then he, he says at the end, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So when, he, when, when all of that, when he's saying all that, when he's writing this, how, how does that happen? Is it not totally dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The, the experience that Paul's speaking of, it can only be through the Holy Spirit. And, th and this is the case throughout the entirety of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is moving throughout all of it. Now, of course he is, because it says in other places that the Holy Spirit was involved in the writing of it. In, in 2 Timothy, it says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. Peter speaks of that all of those who were writing Scripture were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they were writing. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is involved in all of it. And so this does stir up questions within us. C can we say that, that we have this desire and longing to know Jesus? Can I, can I say that that's my desire? What, what holds our affections back? Do, do we find contentment easily in other things, in a world of comfort and consumerism? Are, are we simply too comfortable? Paul speaks in Philippians 3 there of, of pressing on to know Jesus more. And, and I, I want us to consider that this is, he's writing this near the end of his life. And everything that Paul's experienced, everything he's done, all of the totality of Paul's life, you could almost look at Paul and, and when you hear this go, why, why do you need more? Paul, Paul, like, haven't you experienced enough of the Holy Spirit? How, how can you say, I've got to press on to know more? Look at all that you've experienced. And he's like, no, I, I want more. So I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant in this to give off the idea, though, of, of an approach of a formula when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that, that there's somehow a formula here. Because... Yeah, we do have to make room in our lives to receive. We do, we do have to show desire. There's this thing of seeking and drawing near. But it's not a formula. But it does require response. It's, it's an invitation to more. That, that, if I were to, to, to try to boil that down, the experience of the Holy Spirit, it's an invitation from God to more. George Whitfield, who I mentioned, he, he spoke of his pursuit 
for more of God and how desperate he was to experience the presence of God. This was after he had been saved for many, many years. And he fasted. He was so desperate for the presence of God and to experience God. He fasted to the point of being bedridden and ill for seven weeks. Doctors thought he was going to die. And yet, he wouldn't relent until he met God. And finally, one day it happened. He, he recounts the experience. He was walking in a meadow. I guess somehow the Lord had restored him enough that he was walking. And he recounts that the experience of meeting the Holy Spirit as joy unspeakable, an abiding sense of the pardoning love of God and of his adoption as a son. And from that day forward, George Whitfield was transformed. It was actually after that that he went on to lead the massive revivals in the UK and then he went over to the US and he led what was known as the Great Awakening in the US. And when, and when, when you read, and this is just a snippet of, of what Whitfield experienced, but when you read of what he experienced, you cannot deny how much it reads like that of which the New Testament speaks of. It's, it's the stuff that's spoken of in charismatic terms like fullness of the Spirit. You know, I, I can recall when I first experienced the Holy Spirit, I will never forget where I was when I first experienced the Holy Spirit in a fresh and new way like I had never, ever encountered him before. And I knew God. I had actually experienced God already up to that point. But, but we were at the Pensacola Revival in 1999, the fall of 1999. We were there as a, as a, a group from our, our Bible school. And there was something different. And, and I remember I went up for prayer. And you have to understand, I, I've, I think I've probably shared this before, but I'm, I'm one who, I am not one. It has to be the presence of God and the Spirit of God. I am not going to go down just for the sake of going down. I am not going to, I, I need to experience the presence of God. I want to experience the real presence of God. And so that was my, that was my hunger and my desire. And I remember uh, after being prayed for them, we went back. We were invited, those of us who wanted to receive the gift of tongues, we were invited to go backstage. They did some teaching on it. And then they did some prayer time for it. And I remember exactly where I was when I received the gift of tongues. And, but more than that, it was the presence of God that I experienced there that changed the way that I had ever experienced God. It was different. And my desire for God was different. My openness to the Spirit was different from that day on. And since then, I've had thousands, I don't think this is, this is hyperbole, I've had thousands of experiences like that. Some that are, that are small, some that are very personal, some that are, that are more public. I, I had one this morning as I, was, as I was preparing for today and I, 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 I encountered the Holy Spirit again in a fresh way this morning. The one was up on my living room rug and it was amazing. <laughs> and, and just that to say, this is normative. This is normative when we are in Christ and we desire more and more of the Spirit. I haven't had a George Whitfield experience. I don't, I don't think when I read of him. I don't think I've encountered that. 
But, but I've had enough to have no doubt of God's presence. No doubt. You know, and I, I find myself, whatever happens in my life, I think because of those encounters with the Holy Spirit, my, my resolve is, regardless of what happens, it's like Peter. Where else could we go, Lord? You have the words of life. So last question I want to ask this morning. Can we limit the Holy Spirit in our lives? And, and to help answer this question, we need, we need to see what Scripture reveals about our interactions with the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is given to us, that he's to be with us, that he is to dwell with us, inside of us. We, we are designed to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want to I keep bringing us back to that. We are designed to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And like all relationships, you can either strengthen or you can damage a relationship like that. And our actions and choices have a direct impact on the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is sobering stuff. Because as we heard last week, the Holy Spirit desires, he is the very spirit of truth. He desires to lead us into truth. And he does this by convicting us of sin in our lives. And so, so how we respond to this has a direct impact on that relationship. And so the, the New Testament speaks of the ways that we can limit the Holy Spirit in our lives. First, we, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. And this, when, when, when it speaks there of grieving the Holy Spirit, it's, it's in the context of how we, we treat and talk about others. It's, it's talking about unwholesome talk about others, listening to gossip and slander about others. It's also in relation to our behavior, allowing bitterness to be present in our lives, reacting in anger and rage, seeking to tear down others. All of that grieves the heart of God. And sadly, Christians can hardly be any different than anyone else in this. You know, the whole thing of like slander disguised as prayer requests. And you know, that, that's sobering, right? To think about like when we react in anger in our lives, and let's be real, we know that this is something that many of us struggle with at times. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Second, we can resist the Holy Spirit. Acts 7.51 talks about this there where Stephen, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders and he says to them, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And theirs was this repeated resistance to the working and warnings of the Holy Spirit. And this, this can be present in our lives as well where we resist the voice of God in our stubbornness or in our refusal to change, our refusal to deal with issues in our lives. And also we can quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. And, and what that means is to not, don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. It means to extinguish it. Don't extinguish the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and there in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's specifically in the context of prophecy. But I think you could, you could expand that. It's probably speaking to the wider gifts of the Spirit. 
One of, one of the best messages that I ever heard on this was by Sam Storms uh, at a Desiring God conference, and he talked about the 10 ways that we can quench the Holy Spirit. And I, I remember that message. I, I remember being there being just powerfully convicted. And, and the, the truth is that by our attitudes and actions, we can limit the Holy Spirit and what he desires to do in us and in our midst. We can also harden our hearts against the Holy Spirit. This is spoken of in Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8, and it's quoting Psalm 95 there, but it warns us against hardening our hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. When we, when we rationalize, when we justify, when we excuse, when we, we disregard the presence of sin in our lives, we're, we're hardening ourselves against the work of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're disregarding the voice of the Holy Spirit who's speaking to us into areas in our lives. The last way that we can limit the Holy Spirit is we can choose substitutes for the Holy Spirit. And this is where it says in Ephesians 5.18 there, it says that, that in urging us to, be, to go on being filled with the Spirit, Paul contrasts this with drunkenness. And he says, don't be, don't be intoxicated with alcohol because it can be a substitute for the Holy Spirit. And, this, and, and it, I think what he's speaking to there is, is really, and we, we know this is what alcohol does, is this desire to feel good, the desire to be free of inhibitions, to, to forget the stuff weighing on me, to have that escape. It's a counterfeit for the real thing. But alcohol isn't the only substitute for the Holy Spirit. Do, do we have other things in our lives that are escapes to try to make ourselves feel good. And, and rather than pursue more of the Holy Spirit and pursue his presence, we choose other substitutes that always, always, always leave us wanting. So I want to I bring us back to the beginning of today. And that is the heart of God that we would experience more and more and more of his presence in our lives, that, that our hearts would be little outposts of Eden in this world, in a fallen world, that that living water, those rivers of living water would flow through us. And so we can flip that question and to how do we not limit the Holy Spirit? And we do this by living in accordance with God's way. We do it by walking in repentance. We, when, we, when we are sinning, when we're, we receive forgiveness, we're resisting the work of Satan in our lives. It's, it's walking in alignment with Acts 5.32. The Holy Spirit, it says, there is given to those who obey God. Engaging in repentance in our lives in this is it's crucial crucial, crucial that we are, that repentance is at the forefront of our lives. That we're, that we're open to receive and learn from others. That, we're, that there's a humility to being open to correction and, and asking for this in our lives. I, I know I don't, I don't always like that in my life and had a conversation last week in those in that regard with 
with some, the person who pastors me. And we were talking through some stuff. And, you know, those are, those are uncomfortable conversations. But they're necessary to encounter God. It's, it's necessary so that I can, the presence of the Holy Spirit is in my life and having a sensitivity to his presence. In his, uh, in his book, More, simply it's titled More, Simon Ponsonby, he says this about the work of the Holy Spirit. If Satan cannot keep us from coming to Christ, he will keep us from coming closer to Christ. If he cannot hinder our salvation, he will seek to hinder our sanctification. He desires to have a hold on our lives and will not relinquish those footholds of sin and bondage without a fight. Then he goes on and he says, the anointing of the Holy Spirit reveals demonic shadows that are dispatched through repentance, renunciation, and the authoritative word of God applied by faith. Sometimes simply a sincere opening up of our lives to the Holy Spirit will uproot demonic footholds. So I came across that quote as I was preparing these messages and, and I, when I previously read that a few years back, I had written in the margins, which is why we need to be set free. And I, and I remember, so I saw that again this week. And I thought, oh yeah. You know, last week I, I mentioned the set free retreats that I've, I've experienced a few times. And a major part uh, of those sessions is getting into small groups and you work through a very exhaustive list of things that we've engaged in or you may have engaged in in your life that gives Satan a foothold in your life. And, and then what you do is you go through these lists and you go through teaching and then these times involve bringing these things into the light and you renounce them. You renounce them with your group and, you're, and then you pray and, you're, and, you, and you pray to be set free from these things that hinder a relationship with God. And, and if I can be so bold as to say it, we all need it. Every single person needs that. And probably, like me, you probably need it multiple times. Because we leak. And... Because there's stuff, you know, in our relationship with Jesus over time, he'll reveal more things to us. You know, as, as, we're, as, we're, as we're walking and we're living by the Spirit, he'll bring up things that maybe we hadn't thought of. Oh, oh yeah, there's that. And so as we, as we head into the final, this final week of prayer and fasting, I want to I encourage you with the words of Matthew 5, 6, and, and specifically to how they relate to seeking more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is where Jesus says there, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's, that's a promise that we can take into this week of prayer and fasting. We can take into this week as we fast and as we pray that the Holy Spirit will be at work to fill us with more of Jesus more of his righteousness. As we hunger and thirst for that, Jesus' promise is you will be filled. Living from and into that truth of scripture with our lives.
Jen, why don't you uh, why don't you come up? As we uh, as we end today, I wanna I wanna invite us to have a time of, of response um, this morning. As we've as we've been hearing and focusing on this this thing of more of the Holy Spirit, of the work of the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite us to receive. I want to invite us to receive from the Holy Spirit, to open ourselves up, and to allow the Lord to move and to work as he sees fit. There's, there's a... It's true in Scripture that there's this thing of an invitation to receive. We have to be willing to receive. And it's this thing of draw near to me and I will draw near to you, God says. And so let's, let's spend a few minutes as, we, uh, as we're going gonna to end with some worship to invite the Holy Spirit, to invite him to, again, to fill us up with more. As we've, as we, we've heard from Scripture today that, that God would do this in us. We don't want to be filled up with knowledge and just intellect. That's not the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture is to draw us into a relationship with God, to draw us into a living, vibrant relationship with Him through the presence and through the power of His Holy Spirit. And so for some of us, it might, well, probably for all of us, it's going to start with, with some level of confession and repentance. It always does. It's, it's search my heart, oh God. You know, reveal to me any way in me that is not of you. So that's, that's where this always begins. And then as we, as we engage in that, we can ask the Lord to fill us more, more. There's always more.